morning, everyone. Before we go to the Lord in prayer um, and worship him in his word, uh, I just would like you all to know uh, that this week on Friday, uh, Robert Kellogg, our worship uh, director, he was teaching a class at Moody and became faint and passed out. Uh, they did call an ambulance. They took him directly to the hospital. And he was disoriented um, and um, struggling a bit. They, uh, since then, he remains in the hospital. Since then, they have uh, done a number of tests. They have ruled out the possibility of stroke. They are looking at some other things. And uh, he is gaining strength, and um, he is gaining um, just his, his uh, countenance and composure back, uh, being able to think more clearly. Uh, so I would ask you to keep Robert in your prayers. Please keep Lydia and the kids in your prayers. That will be most helpful if we can do that. Um, I'm going to pray for them, and then I'm going to pray for the message. Father, we thank you for Robert, for how you've made him. And Lord, we know that these events, though difficult and unexpected, are not unexpected by you. We pray, Lord, that you will use them for a great good. Not only a great good in Robert's life, in the life of his loved ones, but also in our life, his extended family. We ask, Father, that you would bring healing to Robert. We know that the answer to that prayer lies in you. And we know that you have eternal purposes for all things and all answers. So while we pray in the present for his healing, we of course pray for that greater eternal good that will come out of these events that have occurred. We ask that you would give him strength and give him energy. We pray that you will give him comfort as well. We ask you to be with Lydia and comfort her with the ministry of your spirit. Be with his children. Help them, Lord, uh, to rest and trust in you as well. And help us as a church um, to truly step up in prayer for Robert, for his family, to step up as volunteers uh, to make a difference and uh, pick up that slack um, when one of us uh, is unable to. And help us, Lord, to be the body of Christ. Uh, for we ask that we would be your faithful people. Uh, praying this in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we pray for the message. We pray that you will speak with truth to us this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, um, will speak through me. And uh, I pray that I would not hinder your spirit, but that it would speak into each and every one of our lives uh, about the importance of prayer today. Speak to each of us a word we need to hear. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a movie that came out not too long ago called Saving Private Ryan. You may have watched it. And it is a movie about the events that occurred around D-Day. It is based upon some true events in which there were several brothers who died on a battleship in the Pacific, and um, the army set out to uh, rescue a fourth brother um, so that um, 
his mom might not have to suffer uh, the loss of four sons for her country. The, the Army General Staff had felt that she had paid enough of a price for her country. Well, in the movie Saving Private Ryan, um, it is Private Ryan who is this fourth brother. And during the events of D-Day and within those first 24, 48 hours, uh, the order comes down to Captain John Miller and his squad of eight men to go and find Private Ryan. Private Ryan is behind enemy lines. He was one of the paratroopers who flies in. And there is massive confusion along the front. There is violence everywhere and war. It is extremely unsafe. And the movie is this journey of this squad to find Private Ryan and then to keep him alive and to return him to his mother alive. The movie begins with Private Jim Ryan returning to Normandy many years later with his family. And as he comes to the cemetery and to the grave of Captain Miller, he falls on his knees and weeps. And then he remembers all that had been done to spare his life. At the end of those events, and we see those events throughout the movie, at the end of those events, critically wounded, Captain Miller looks at Private Ryan and bids him to come closer. And then with his dying breath, he says to Private Jim Ryan, earn this, and dies. I'd like you to watch the video that follows after that.
Private Ryan says to his wife, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. His story is a parable of our spiritual dilemma. Like Private Ryan, we have been saved by another who has given his life for us. And the cost that has been paid so that we may have on life is incredible. It is a price that we are unable to pay or repay. Jesus died upon a cross so that we may have eternal life. Like Private Ryan, we sense in ourselves that somehow we must live up to the sacrifice that has been made for us. Unlike Jesus, Captain Miller expects that Ryan's effort will be that he lives up to the sacrifice that Captain Miller and his made as men made for him. Jesus does not expect this of us. He knows that we are unable to live up to such expectations. He knows that we can never earn what He has done. We can only receive it and live in a manner worthy of His sacrifice. That manner worthy of His sacrifice comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. It is His promise to us that He would send God's Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to assist us in this. Paul says in our text today, this very recognition that we cannot do it, but that God can, when he says in his thanksgiving, our God would make them worthy of his calling so that they might fulfill every desire for good and work of faith. It is God's power in us and through us that is at work. This is the worthy petition Paul will pray for the Thessalonians. This past week, we entered into Lent, the 40 days uh, prior to Easter, minus the Sundays. And throughout this time, we want to be dedicated to prayer. And we'll have times of prayer together. There is a time at 8.45 every Sunday morning prior to this service when you can meet in the hospitality room and pray for this service, for the classes, for the children, for the adults for our church. There'll be a time every Sunday after church where we will gather here in the sanctuary and pray. And there will be a time together on Wednesdays when we will pray. And the one thing that we would like to challenge you to do is to participate in one of those sessions of prayer at some point during these 40 days. We are 
working through a new series beginning today, a series called Praying the Prayers of Paul. The hope in this series is that our prayer life will be richer and deeper. We will draw closer to God. And we will find strength and direction to improve our praying. Our praying for God's glory and our praying for our good. Certainly what we will find today as we look at Second Thessalonians is that Paul's prayer is different. I think, in many ways than our prayers. Paul is not so focused on the material, temporal things, but Paul is focused on the eternal, spiritual things when he prayed. It is not the temporal things do not matter. That would be the wrong assumption. They matter. Otherwise, why would Jesus tell us to pray, give us this day, our daily bread? Why would Jesus heal the sick? Why would he exercise demon-possessed people? And why would he teach us that we should continually bring our requests before God? And why would he in God's word, in James's letter, 5th chapter, 17th verse, tell us to go to the elders and ask them for healing to pray for us. Material and temporal concerns matter to God. But in today's prayer, we are going to see a concern of greater importance for our prayers, one that they often lack, eternal spiritual importance. So I invite you to open up your text to 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are Bibles in the seat in front of you. Following the pattern of Greek letter, letter writing, we're going to read the first 12 verses. It's at the end of these 12 verses that Paul actually breaks into the prayer, but many of these verses help us to understand the nature of that prayer. Following that pattern of traditional Greek letter writing, Paul begins with a greeting. Paul Silvanus and Timothy, these are who are together, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul offers what is traditionally um, uh, thanksgiving. And he goes on to say, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to replay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God 
and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Then Paul breaks into this incredible, short, but powerful prayer. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The big idea today is the challenge to offer up spiritual petitions that focus on both the present and the eternal. Not just temporal, worldly petitions, but spiritual petitions that focus in this present, but also are mindful of the eternal. The first thing we see in this prayer is that Paul focuses his petition on the present spiritual matters at hand. He writes, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and for every work of faith by his power. When Paul says, To this end, we always pray, he is talking about the verses from 3 to verse 10. This um entry that he writes in here of thanksgiving for the Thessalonians and all that is going on in their life. He gives thanks for their growing faith, which is seen as they endure persecution and affliction and suffering. He gives thanks for their increasing love for one another. These he sees as evidence. He says so in verses 5 and 6, that endurance is the evidence of such godliness. And that will be revealed finally in the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. In verse 5 he says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also are suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay the affliction." those who have afflicted you. What does that look like? This worthiness, this evidence? Well, one of the things it looks like is they do not repay evil for evil, as the Word of God instructs us in Romans. And they do not seek to avenge themselves for the wrongdoing done to them. As again, those instructions come to us in the Word of God in Romans. And they trust in God's promises to deliver them to everlasting life on the day of the Lord, as we see in these very verses. They are trusting that when Jesus returns, He will dispense justice. And on that day, they will be delivered into everlasting life. What I want you to notice is that Paul is not praying about material 
temporal things. He is not praying for relief for them. And he is not praying for protection for them. He is praying for spiritual, eternal things. That they will grow because of what they are experiencing. That they will come out of the present and arrive at their eternal destination. Because of these current circumstances. There are two ways that this happens. Each of these ways serves God's purposes. First, that they continue to grow and mature spiritually. And second, by implication. Now, what they are enduring, the gospel is being spread. People are seeing something other than a reaction of the world. They are seeing the evidence of true faith in Jesus. They are living in a manner that could be considered worthy of God in heaven. Think of what Jesus said. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. How different, how different would our prayer lives be and how different would our lives be if we were praying more about our present circumstances with an eye on spiritual, eternal things as our focus. I imagine they would be far different. I imagine that each of us would be far different. I know I would be. One last thing I want you to see in this. That Paul was not praying that Thessalonians will strive in their own strength to be worthy, as I said at the beginning and outset of this message. Paul was praying that the Thessalonians will walk faithfully in the power of God to work in them and through them so that they live up to the sacrifice that Jesus has made for them. Look at verse 11. What it says in there, it says that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for every good work of faith by his power. And look at verse 12. He says, all this is according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not by us. It is not by our strength. It is not by our personal endurance or might but it is by God working in us. It is by us being submitted to the Lord Jesus. Submission is often not thought of as a very important thing in this world. In fact, in this world, the idea of submission is something that we frown upon because it has so many negative connotations. But I will just remind you, That submission is what makes us most like Jesus. That's how wrong the world is. 
The second thing Paul does is to focus his petitions on eternal spiritual matters. Paul's focus in the present has a goal of realizing the future and full relationship with the Lord. Look at what he writes. So that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the eternal purpose of God and the realization, full realization of a relationship with him? It is our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. It is eternity with the Lord in glory. It is what theologians speak about as glorification. And it will happen on the day when Jesus returns. There will be a final judgment. We know it is the day of the Lord in Scripture. It is an awesome day to be feared. Jesus will return with his mighty angels as we see here in these verses uh, between 3 and verse 10. He will return with flaming fire, inflicting vengeance upon those who have persecuted the faithful and those who have rejected God's love, His grace, the free unmerited gift that He would give to all through His forgiveness. Because... They have rejected him. He will judge them to suffer punishment of eternal destruction. And he will judge the faithful, who he calls saints, to be glorified with him in heaven. Not because we have done anything to earn it, but because by our faith we have believed in Jesus and we have trusted the gospel. I want you to notice how Paul describes the punishment of eternal destruction. He describes it as a way from the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine being apart from the presence of the Lord? You say, well, sure, I don't see the Lord. He's not talking to me in audible terms. Let me assure you that each and every one of us is not far from the Lord, whether you know Him or you don't. Consider this. In this present life, we all, believers and unbelievers, enjoy the common graces of God. Let me just name a couple. We all enjoy love. Can you imagine a world devoid of Love, where hate and mistrust replace it? There is plenty of hate and mistrust in this world, but it is not total hate and mistrust. There is still love. But a world devoid of God's presence, there will be no love. Can you imagine a world devoid of the light that we enjoy? It will be a world filled with lies and misunderstanding and darkness. There will be paranoia everywhere and fear. We all enjoy goodness. 
Imagine a world devoid of goodness where misery and self-centeredness and frustration and fear are nothing but the norm. Sure, these things exist in our world. But so does goodness because of the common grace of God's presence in His creation. We all enjoy order. God created order out of disorder when He created all things. And to some extent, even though there is chaos and conflict and war in the world, there is order. Imagine a world devoid of order. It will be filled with nothing but destruction and chaos and war everywhere. We all enjoy justice, at least to some extent. There is at least where, where governments cannot engage in justice. There is at least the law of cause and effect. Some of that comes back. But imagine a world devoid of justice where even the most basic sense of the law and cause and effect does not exist. Everything will devour itself and attack one another. Living in a world devoid of God and of these common graces would be a terrible world to live in. An awful world. And that that is exactly the description of hell. That we will be far away from the presence of God and far away from the common graces that we seem to take for granted. Believers and unbelievers. And that world will not be lived in just for 80 years or 90 or maybe 100 if you're really unusual. It will be for all eternity. And sadly, that day is coming. It is coming for some when Jesus returns. Hopefully, that is a motivator for us to want to share the good news with everyone so that no one would suffer such things. Let me just take a minute and say, if you have never made a decision for Jesus, if you have never believed in the grace of God's love for you, expressed through Jesus on the cross, who died to take the judgment for your sins, the very wrath of God that we are all deserving of, so that instead of that, you can have forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ to cover you. Because that's what God wants to so freely give because He loves all of us. If you've never made that decision, then may I invite you to do so even today. It's often true that people will say, well, I'm not sure whether God exists. But very few really search to find out. I am confident that those who search to find out if God is real if Jesus has lived and died and rose from the grave, that you can find that out. Because God will make himself known. So may I encourage and implore you if you've never made that decision to do so. Let me return now to the text. 
Jesus describes eternity after Jesus returns for the saints in this way. That the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. As terrible as a world without the presence of God may be, a world in the presence of God is unfathomable and beautiful and wonderful. That Jesus would be glorified in you and you in him. This is a picture of what theologians speak of as glorification. Glorification is when that all that we are within is perfected into the image and likeness of Jesus, but also all that is without is perfected. So that it is like that of Jesus. We will have a resurrected body one day that will match the inside of what God has done through sanctification. Our character will be fully formed like that of Christ. And our resurrected body will reflect a perfect relationship with the Lord. We will have no flesh nature to contend with, to pull us into sin. But we will be fully submitted to the Lord. Paul said to the Philippians, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's desire for us and his promise to us. The second thing about this picture of glory is that glorification is a process. It doesn't say it here, but throughout scriptures, it describes it as a process. We are under construction. The Bible calls us saints, but not because we uh, don't sin. It is because we are counted among God's people since we have believed. And we are being formed more and more into conformity and likeness of Jesus. That's what sanctification means. We are becoming more like Jesus all the time. Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians that we are actually moving from one state of glory to another. He said, And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So that glorification, that perfection, that end and goal that God has for us and us for him, that Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. That is a process that we are engaged in even here and now, but will one day be fully realized when Jesus returns. And then third, when we are glorified with Jesus, we will not reflect Jesus but we will be transformed into his likeness. John Stott says that it's the difference between a mirror reflecting an image and a filament that glows with light and heat when electricity is passed through it. A mirror remains unchanged as it reflects that image, but a filament is radically changed. 
When electricity passes through it, it becomes transcendent. And the light becomes so bright and so powerful that that's what the filament has become changed, transformed into. It will be a glorious day when Jesus brings God's redemptive plan to fruition. For in that day, we will all be filaments. You remember Peter and John. I believe it was Andrew who went with Jesus and he he went up, I believe it was on top of Mount Tabor and he prays and he's transfigured. And his body is embodying the glory that is his, his physical body. And they see him in this bright white light. And Jesus says, don't say this to anybody. Don't tell anybody about this. That's what it's going to be like. We're going to embody His glory in our resurrected bodies. That light will shine so brightly through us. And it will not be of our doing, but it will be by God's grace. It is what God is doing in us and through us. As He says, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory is the end, and grace is the means to it. And my friends, there is no glory without grace. So why is praying in the present and future matters so important to us? Well, besides God wanting and instructing us to pray for such things, there are other reasons Praying for present circumstances is important because God uses the present to sanctify. The present is teaching and shaping and molding those we pray for and ourselves from one degree of glory to another. So to pray for such things is to pray for that growth, that sanctification, which will ultimately lead to glory. Praying for present circumstances is important because hope is needed in the present in order to persevere to the end. Consider the Israelites who gave up on Moses when he was at the top of the mountain for 40 days. They lost hope and they worshipped an idol. Or consider Elijah, who after defeating the priests of Baal, an incredible victory, and Jezebel threatens his life, He runs away, terrified, because he has lost hope until the Lord restored him. Now consider Peter, who gives up after denying Jesus three times. He has lost hope and is by himself when Jesus comes to him and restores him. Consider long-distance swimmer Florence Chadwick. She is the first woman to ever have swum the English Channel in both directions. And she set out to swim a distance very similar, 26 miles from Catalina Island off of California to the mainland. She left 
on a day when it was very foggy. And she swam that distance in the fog and could barely even see the boat that was just in front of her where they were encouraging her to keep swimming. She finally begged them to pull her out of the water. The fog, still so thick, she couldn't see more than a few feet in front. They were less than a half a mile from the shoreline. The next day at a news conference, she didn't give any excuse for why she didn't make it. But she did say this, if I had seen the shore, I think I would have made it. Two months later, she proved her point. We need hope in the present. So it's important for us to pray about the present. But we need to keep our eye on the goal. Praying for future circumstances helps us to keep that ultimate goal in mind and reminds us that this is not our home, that we shouldn't be so comfortable in this world. That whatever we face, it's only temporary. And our real and lasting hope still awaits us. Praying for future circumstances with that ultimate goal in mind helps us to focus in the present and keep moving forward for the redemption of all people, which is the ultimate hope and goal of God. And praying for future circumstances with the ultimate goal in mind helps us to continue to rely on the Lord's sanctifying grace. Because we will never make it there without it. And we know that. You and I, we could pray prayers for temporal and worldly concerns. Those things matter to God. But there is more that we can pray. The Bible says that we were bought with a price and we are not our own. We have a new life with a new aim. It is the goal of God. So our prayers ought to resonate with the eternal spiritual goal of our Lord, embracing who He is, what He has done, where we are, and where we are going, and what we must cherish and value above all else so that we are becoming more and more like the one who gave his life for us. I hope that as you pray, especially throughout this time, that you will look at how you can make sure your focus is on spiritual and eternal things regarding the present and regarding the future. As you pray for others, pray for the church, and pray for yourself. And I hope that everyone here, every member of this community, will at least once, during the time of Lent, join in a time together that we may pray such things during these 40 days prior to Easter. Sunday morning before service, 8.45. After church, beginning today. Ten minutes after the service ends, 15 minutes after the service ends. And then on Wednesdays, 
And on Wednesdays, there are some different times. Sometimes it'll be early in the morning. Sometimes it'll be in the evening. But join us for prayer. And I pray that your life with God will be richer. Knowing the truth of the spiritual concerns and matters that God has for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, a love so great that you gave your life for us. And while we cannot repay that and we cannot earn that, we can, Lord, live up to it by submitting ourselves to you and to your agenda for us and to your great redemptive work, to your love for other people, to your concern that we would be that light of Jesus and become it, not just reflecting it, but being transformed by who Jesus is. And we ask that your power of your spirit will help all of us to do that. And help us, Lord, to pray these deeper prayers. Help us to have a richer life of prayer with you. And help us all to walk into the hope of eternity, knowing fully your great love, and that one day you will be glorified in us and us in you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.